You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. Today, I am starting a two-part message. And uh, so you have to come for the next one. You already, you know, if you're here today, you got to come for the next one. It's just a done deal. Cool? Two-part message, and we're going to be talking about Gideon. So we're going to have lessons from the life of Gideon. And those are found, uh, his story is found in Judges 6. So Judges um, chapter 6 through chapter 8. So we will read back and forth from there. But I want to give you context um, and what's happening before we begin his story. Because I'm going to be jumping around a little bit, okay? Um, so the people of Israel at this point um, had been rescued from the Egyptians, right? They had walked out of Egypt. Um, God had taken them through the journey of um, the, the, uh, to the promised land, right? So he had taken them through the desert. He had gotten them to the promised land, Joshua. So it was Moses, Joshua, all of that had happened. Um, but it had been a while. Um, it had been a while already. And God had given the people of Israel a commandment when they made this transition over to the promised land. He told them, do not fear the God of the Amorites. That was the commandment. I mean, if you know anything about the Bible, if you've read any of the books in the Bible, I mean, if you've read Exodus or any chapter, you'll, you'll quick realize that God had a very huge, huge um, mandate. I am your God. I am your God. Only me no one else. Do not build idols. Do not form, you know, do not give your devotion, your heart to anything else. I am your God. And so he had told the people of Israel, you know, do not fear the God of the Amorites. And yet they disobeyed. And so for seven years, God handed them over to the Midianites. For seven years, God handed them over and then they cried out to God and they said God rescue us like we know that we haven't done right you know will you rescue us and so God begins this conversation with Gideon in order to rescue the people of Israel so this is the context and so before we get into you know taking a peek at this conversation that God has with Gideon I wanted to ask you like what does that mean to you today because oftentimes we talk about the Old Testament and we talked about things that happened to the people of Israel. And you go, well, that was a long time ago. You know, that's like history. This is back then. This doesn't apply to me today. This is really, like I stick to the New Testament because the Old Testament doesn't apply to me. Right? We often hear that. But I find that our journey with God is still very much like the journey that the people of Israel had. Like we're full of ups and downs and we're full of highs and lows. It's like this roller coaster ride, you know. One moment we have our eyes fixed on God and one moment our eyes are fixed on Jesus and he is our only God and he is, you know, it. The next moment we turn around and we're looking at people to satisfy our needs. And we're looking at things to supply, you know, the comfort for us. And we're looking at things to make us happy. Like we, we are like that. We, go, we, are, we're the, we look for comfort. And we look for rescue and we look for our anxieties to be settled oftentimes in things and in other people. And I don't know if you can identify with the people of Israel, but I can. I, I have had moments where God is everywhere and I've seen his miraculous hand so evident. And then moments where I'm like, 
Hello. <laughs> you know, are you there? It almost feels like God is missing in action. Like he's MIA, you know. And so I've had moments, and I'll tell you this. So in 2013, um, J.D. and I moved to Stanford to begin this church community. And in, and in a twist of events, a very brilliant twist of events, eight months later, we get pregnant with twins. Right? And so I, for me, when I think about the year 2014 and the early 2015, I think about miracles. I think about the hand of God very, very much evidenced. I think about God saying, I am with you. Because I remember, I remember, most of you have heard the story, but I remember it was a high-risk pregnancy. There was lots of details and lots of doctor's visits and lots of, you know, going here and going there. But I didn't know any of that. We didn't know that this was going to come about. We didn't know what was brewing inside and what was to come. But before we had the issue, God came up with a solution. So before we knew the problem that was coming down the road, that we would have to go to the doctors every day, that we would have to go to Denbury to see the doctor, God provided the solution. He sent us an angel. I call her our angel, Bianca. And she felt in her heart. Now, this is June. We delivered the baby in, the babies in October. In June, she, looks, she walks up to me and says, I feel like God is telling me to leave everything and go stay with you guys for a few months. Now, who does that? right and we didn't know what was to come we knew that the pregnancy was high risk but then she moves to our house she moves in on September in September the day before um the two days before our previous service our first previous service here at connect community and that weekend obviously was an intense weekend because we're like launching you know the community and we, we end up having to go to the hospital in the middle of the night um, because I was having pain. And so we drive over to Denbury. It was like 1 or 2 in the morning or something. And she was there to stay with Maya. See, we don't think about these things that we're going to need. And we don't know what's ahead. But God knew my heart. And God knew our heart. And he knew what we were going to need. So two days before a need began, she was there. Right? I can tell you story after story of miracles where God sent his parents all the way from Brazil to stay with us for three weeks, which I thought was insane. I'm like, are you guys crazy? You're going to stay in my house? I just had babies for three weeks. Like I was in complaining mode, right? And yet they were the biggest blessing because we brought the babies home. The next day they arrived, his mother took care of everything for me. She cooked, she cleaned, she made sure everybody was okay. His dad bought us groceries. Like it was the biggest blessing for us. You know, I didn't know I was going to need it, but God months in advance had purchased their, helped them purchase their tickets and had gotten them there the day after. So JD and I had the opportunity to learn how to do this being parents of twins with a toddler, right? We had to learn that. And so God was providing the miracle ahead of time. And then after all of that, right, we're like, okay, we have no jobs. We have uh, basically no savings at this point. We don't yet have a church. We're in launch mode. And JD had, and I had no idea how things were going to turn out, right? And then God kind of gets a little bit quiet. Now go. Keep going, right? The miracles kind of stopped. The babies were delivered. You know, everybody was healthy, everybody's okay. And then the miracles kind of stop. And then it's like, keep going. 
right? You don't hear so much. And it's not so evident. It's not so loud. And so I don't know about you, but I can relate to the people of Israel to having moments where God is so loud and so evident and so providing for you. And then all of a sudden things get quiet. And he goes, I'm here. You know I am. I just showed you that I am. Now go right we have moments like this so I tell you this because I want you to understand that this this people of Israel and the story that I'm about to talk about is not oh this was them think about your life this applies to you think about the way God speaks to you he still kind of speaks the same way he shows up abundantly and miraculously many times and then he looks at you and says have faith to keep going when I'm not so evident have faith to keep going when things are a little bit quieter right and so we're going to look at the, we're going to look at this conversation. We're going to pick it up in uh, Judges 6. So if you have a Bible. And I'm going to ask that if you have your notes, um, if you bring notes, you know, paper, journal. Does anybody still bring a journal and not their phone? Yes, I love journal people. I love journals, guys. I don't know why. I have a collection of them. <laughs> I love journals. Okay, so we're going to pick up the story right there. Because this is what I want you to know. I say all of this not to say, you know, look at us and what God has done in our lives. I say all this because so that you will understand that God is still calling people out. Okay. He's still calling. It wasn't just then, but he's still calling people out now. So Judges 6, um, chap chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. We're going to run, uh, read through. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. I want to pray for a minute. Lord, I know, I know that the same way, Father, you called people thousands and thousands of year, years ago. You called them out to do things, Father. You called them into purpose and destiny. And you call them to deliver and rescue others the same way you called them then, you call us now. Father, we have seen it in our lives. JD and I have seen, Father, the things that you can do, Father, when we accept the invitation. So this morning, God, I pray that you would speak to the hearts and lead us, lead us to in your path, God. Lead us towards you. Lead us towards what you have for us. Lead us towards, Father, the call for our lives. I thank you, Jesus, that you'd speak to us this morning. We want to hear from you. We just want to hear from you, Lord. Because we know that one word from you changes everything. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay. 
So we have that context. I'm going to go back to those verses. But here's the first thing I want, to, I want you to notice. Is that when God came to speak to Gideon, he was working. When God came to speak to Gideon, he was threshing wheat. He wasn't sleeping. He wasn't relaxing. He wasn't just like, you know, the Midianites are taking everything, so I'm just going to stay here in my corner and, you know, do my thing. He wasn't. He was working. And I find that this is a recurring theme in scriptures. God calls people who are willing to work. God calls people who are willing to put their hands to the plow. God calls people who are willing to get their hands dirty. He is not interested in the lazy. Sorry. He's not. He is not interested in the one who feels like things should be falling on their lap, that they're entitled to because of where they come from or what their background is or what their education is or this or that. He does not call those. He calls those who are willing to put their hands to work. And I want to tell you something. There is no victory for those who are not willing to fight. I'll say that again. There is no victory for those who are not willing to fight. You have to be willing to get in the arena. You have to be willing to fight for what God has placed in your heart. See, the second thing I want you to notice here is that Gideon was hiding. But when you think hiding, you immediately assume afraid, right? You think, okay, somebody's hiding, they're afraid. But see, we can think of it, we can look at it a different perspective. Gideon was hiding in a wine press. This is not where you go to thresh wheat. In a wine press, you press wine, correct? He was threshing wheat in the wine press, which meant he was being strategic. He was at a place where the Midianites were not, would not be looking for him because that's not a place for threshing, right? He was there and he was going, okay, what do I have in my hand? I need to thresh wheat. This is my job. Where can I go? What can I do to keep and save this? Because the Midianites were known for taking everything. They would come into the village. They would destroy everything. They would take everything that the people of Israel would do, you know, were working for. Everything that they would sow, that they would take. So they, would they were takers. And Gideon goes, okay, problem solving mode here. Where do I go? Where can I hide so that I can thresh this wheat and keep it from the Midianites? So he wasn't just afraid hiding. He was, think, he was being strategic, right? And so sometimes we have to remember that we have to get into that mode of problem solving. Sometimes we have to get into like, okay, this doesn't look the way I expected, right? This doesn't look the way I expected. Let me, let me get into problem solving mode and figure out what can I do? What can I do instead? Because he could have, this is what I found interesting. He could have said, why should I thresh, thresh wheat? The Midianites are going to take it anyway. I mean, why should I put the effort in if I'm not going to get the credit? See the difference in mentality? The other thing I want, to, I want you to notice is in verse 13, and we're going to read it again. Gideon says, sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Now, I don't know about you, but the way he's talking to this guy, I went, that's kind of bold, right? Gideon looks at him, and this is the angel of the Lord. So this is the, represent, the representation of the Lord, right? And he looks at him, and he goes, so if God is with us, why is all this happening? Like, hello, where is he? 
It was like, it was like Gideon was pushing a little bit and going, where's God? He's MIA. He's not around. I mean, the God that I've heard of, you know, that delivered the people from Egypt, he's not here right now. So Gideon was a bit bold to kind of question what's going on. And so this tells me two things. One is that Gideon knew about the things that the Lord had done, right? He wasn't oblivious to the fact that God has shown up to his people before. And the other thing it tells me is that he did fear the Lord because he knew the power and the strength and the might of God. He knew God. He knew who he was. Now Gideon hadn't seen God deliver. He hadn't seen God save or protect in a while. But he knew that God could and God had. And this, is this you today? Maybe you haven't seen God work in your life in a while. Maybe um, you feel like God has abandoned you. Could that, does that, can you relate to his thought like, okay, I know this God you're talking about, but in my life, he hasn't done much lately. I want to pose a question to you this morning. Could it be, could it be that God is not missing in action in your life? But could it be that you didn't follow through on the last directive he gave you? Sorry. <laughs> could it be? Remember, God had told the Amorites, do not fear. I mean, God had told the Israelites, do not fear the God of the Amorites. They did not follow through on what he told them. And, you know, sometimes we feel like God is missing. Like God hasn't been around. Like God is not showing up for us. But the, re the truth is that we didn't follow through on the last thing he told us to do. And because we didn't follow through, he's just waiting. For us to go back and pick up where we left off. Right? Next thing we want to notice, I'm, again, I'm going through the life of Gideon and things that we can pick up from his process with God here. The next thing we notice is on verse 14 and 15. The Lord says to him, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? But Lord, Gideon replied. How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. And I am the least in my entire family. Here's what I want you to notice. God gave Gideon a directive. And immediately Gideon looks at himself. So God get told him something to do. And immediately he, he takes his eyes off of God, looks at himself and tries to disqualify himself. He attempts to disqualify. He says, God, I'm the smallest. I'm from the smallest clan and I am the smallest in my family. I am not good enough. God, I am a nobody. I am not, I don't have money. I don't have the, the schooling. I don't, you have ever, have you ever been there where God tells you to do something and you begin to just disqualify yourself? I can't, not, not me. No, I, I, I don't know enough. I, I, I don't have the smarts. I don't have the talent. I can't speak. I'm too weak. I'm sorry. I can't. I can't forgive God. They did wrong. I can't. I can't do it. God, I can't say I'm sorry because they will think that I'm weak. It's their fault. I can't. Have you heard of that? Where God gives you a directive and you begin to. There's, see, there's two directions that usually we go when God gives us a directive. One is self-preservation mode. It'll make me look bad. I can't do it. Oh my gosh, that's so scary. I can't because I might fail and then everybody can see me. So you can go to self-preservation. 
Or the other one is self-deprecation, where you just look at yourself and you don't measure up and you're just, I don't have the talent, I don't have the education, I don't have the smart, I, 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 right? So you either direction. But the point here is that you took your eyes off of Jesus. You took your eyes off of God, the one who can do the impossible, and you placed it on your seemingly incapable hands. You took your eyes off of the one who can, and you looked at yourself, right? Now, God, I want to point out, this is what God says to him. Go in this might of yours. What is God saying? I have given you what you need. Go in this might of yours. I have given you the talent you need to accomplish what I'm calling you to do. Go in this might of yours. I have given you the people you need to do what you need to accomplish. I have given you the intelligence. I have given you the capability. I have given you the strength. I have given you everything you need. Everything you need to accomplish what I'm telling you to do that is up to you. I have given to you. Go in this might of yours. We forget that the Bible says that we were intricately, intricately formed knit together in our mother's womb, designed with intent and purpose and calling. He has placed a future and a hope for us. He has everything prepared and placed in us that we will need for our lives and is ready to equip us and bring the people he, we need along the way. So we are the only ones who disqualify ourselves. Not God. He has given you what you need. Now I want to go to the next to uh, verse 25 and 26 because here's what I found very intriguing like I said this is a two-part message for this and in this part this is the first order of God's business so the first thing that God sets out to do himself or, or the first order of his business with Gideon's like okay this is what I want you to do first comes in verse 25 and 26 that night the Lord said to Gideon take the second bull from your father's herd the one that is seven years old, put down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole, Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on the hilltop sanctuary, lying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood from the Asherah pole you cut down. So God's first order of business is what? Is establishing himself as your one and only. His first order of business. Gideon, I, the, the people need to understand that I am their savior. That I am their redeemer. That I am their God. Now from the beginning, we go back. God has always said, listen, I will get you through anything. But I am your one and only. I am your God. I am your Redeemer. Do not build idols. Yahweh is the source. He is the Savior. He is the Father. The Lord will not share devotion. He is the only one worthy. And can I tell you this morning, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and serve money. You cannot serve God and serve anything else. So to which you're now thinking, okay, I have not built up any other idols I don't sing to any other god I don't go to any other service and worship any other entity I don't have statues in my house so that's not me right <laughs> let's look at what the the 
the word idol means. See, because we often think about idols as something we worship, and that's true. But many times, an idol is not outwardly worshipped. So we don't think of it as an idol. But an idol is essentially an image. Something that you have formed, an, an image that you have formed. And so image comes from the word imagination. So think with me. An idol is anything that we think about, right? Imagination, anything that we think about more than we think about God. That can become an idol in our lives. So inadvertently, we worship it because it's getting our focus, our energy, and our creativity. Because all we're thinking about is the thing. And how do we get the thing? Or how do we fix the thing? Or how do we, you know, make the thing better? Or how does the thing, like all we think about is it. And I want to pull out a passage in Ezekiel 14. In Ezekiel 14, verse 1 through 3, God is talking to the prophet and he explains to us what an idol does. He says, some of the elders of Israel come to me and sit down and sat down in front of me. Then the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and have put sinful stumbling blocks upon their faces. So an idol is essentially a stumbling block, a stumbling block that messes with our vision. <clears throat> I want to give you a, an image. Oftentimes when we think of sin, we think of God not being able to relate to us, right? Because we're dirty, we're sinful, and God can't relate to us. But he took care of that. So he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that when he looked at us, he saw Jesus. And so we are no longer um, sinful. We are his children because he sees through the filter of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. But shift perspective with me for a little. And when we have sin and when we have idols in our heart, what happens is we put this in front of our eyes, like the Bible says. I'm going to stand like this because. So if this is in front of my eye, what else can I see? This is all I see. This is all I see is, this, is the thing, is the eye, the thing that has captivated my thoughts, the thing that has captivated my heart, the thing that gets my imagination, the things that gets my devotion, the things that gets my creativity is this because this is all I see. So I wake up in the morning and the first thing I think about is this because this is what's in my head. This is what's in front of me. So I go on a lunch break and what do I think about? This. Because this is getting my imagination and my thought. And so I go to bed at night and what do I, the last thing I think about this. Because this is the only thing in front of my face. And we think, well, what? Essentially, it becomes the center of our attention. Right? It gets, the, the Bible, I mean the dictionary defines devotion as love, loyalty, and enthusiasm. And think about it for a minute. Oftentimes, the thing that gets most of our love, most of our attention, and most of our devotion is not God. But the thing that gets most of our attention, most of our love, most of our devotion is the, is the thing that we have idolized, right? Have placed above, like, if I could get this or if I could have this or if I could get there then I right it's this thing this thing that starts to captivate our our every ambition has starts to take over how we behave it starts to take over the reason we do things it's this thing 
And so often we think about idols today and we're thinking about, you know, like what is an, what's an idol for me today? Like what could be an idol? So think about the things that you find safety, security, or comfort in. The things that we idolize or people that we want to emulate. Idols can be anything from food, money, phone, social media. How many likes did I get? How much attention am I getting? My physical appearance. My children. The spouse that one day I hopefully will have. I, you idolize the moment where you get the spouse and then you're no longer alone. Right? Or the career. If I could get up that ladder. If I could just climb up that ladder and be the top person. Then I will, you know, but the focus is not, um, is not building so that you can, you know, do what God has called you to do. The, f- the focus is more power, more attention, you know, more money. See, essentially, it is anything that was meant to serve you, which you are now a slave to. It has captivated your mind. For instance, I'll give you an example. You give 80 hours a week at a job to make money, climb the corporate ladder, but in the process, you sacrifice your family, you sacrifice your health, and you sacrifice time with God, and you end your life, and all you had was the career. Now, obviously, this is a perspective right this is about perspective it is not a sin to save up for retirement it is not a sin to provide for your family it's not a sin to um, work hard obviously not it is a sin to give it your devotion and to give it all of your attention and neglect the things that God has called you to do and neglect the calling in your life and neglect the family that, that he has given you that's when we get in trouble right so this morning I want to ask you, what's on your mind 24-7? What's on your mind? What do you think about more than anything? Is it getting your attention, your imagination, your creativity more than God is getting your attention, your imagination, your creativity? What's the filter? What's the filter to which you make your decisions? Just like an Instagram filter, you know how you change filters and you go, oh, I like that one. So what's the filter through which you make the decisions in your life? Is it, God, is this what you have for me? Is this the next step? Is this where it's going to build your kingdom? Is this going to bless people? Or is it, will I get more likes if I do this? Will I be, have more money if I do this? Will I become more powerful if I do this? Will I, you know what I mean? It's all about the filter. And I want to encourage you this morning because God wants to be your one and only. This is not a message to cast you down and say, oh, God, I've been messing up. No, that's not the point. The point is God wants your devotion so he can call you out into the next thing. He wants you to have your focus and your attention on him and not have a block in front of your face, which basically doesn't let you see everything else that's happening around you. The focus is, you know what, drop the block, drop, drop the thing that has consumed you. The thing that has gotten your entire heart, the thing that gets your attention, drop that. Give that to me, destroy it, whatever it is, and come to my presence and give me your devotion so I can show you all that I have for you. See, the first order of business that God has is becoming your one and only. He wants to be your center. Right? From him, everything else will come. 
From him, everything else will, will set into place. From him, you will get the victories you need. From him, you will begin to feel the, the, the peace and the rest and the satisfaction and the safety and the comfort. The things that you're looking for is not found in the thing. It is found in him. In him, we find everything we need.